Jan is not with us this evening. There was some stomach bug that had visited a family member before our family gathering. Is that two weeks back now? And then it appeared on our trip. And one, no, two fell. And uh, it appeared everybody escaped unscathed. And one of the grandkids showed up with it. And this thing has a, a sinister, long incubation period. Carrie got it early in the week, and Jan went down to help her with the kids while she was sick. And Jan wasn't around anybody that had it since Thursday, 7 a.m. And uh, somehow it held on and found her. So um, she's not here, and I'm going to go straight out the door tonight in case somehow it's attached itself to me, lest I infect any of you and it make a, a winter journey through our church. So if you don't take it personally, if I hit the door before I say good evening to you tonight, but uh, hopefully she'll come through okay, you know how those things are. Um, 24 hours of misery followed by, what can I eat? I haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> but it's Psalm 82, let's read together. And um, also, let me just encourage you, while you're turning, to do remember the Hamiltons. I was wondering if there'd be any more news the last day or so, but there hasn't been anything else, at least from the clerk. Um, but let's remember them in prayer. Again, if I understand from what they said, they're actually keeping her sedated from that emergency surgery on uh, the early hours of Saturday morning all the way up till this coming Tuesday. So let's pray for them. Psalm 82, as we continue, we see again a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the fountains or foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Amen. We end our reading and trust again God's blessing to be on the public reading of His inspired Word. Let's bow our heads and hearts together. Our Heavenly Father, in a day in which we have considered with some length and much solemnity that awful text The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Lord, we are overwhelmed. We marvel, we rejoice to sing together tonight that in the power of the gospel, in your wisdom and justice, you have chosen to impute our guilt to your Son. You've chosen to send Him 
to live in obedience to that law under which we stand condemned and to impute that obedience unto us. What wondrous love is this. Lord, as we come in this evening hour to look at this psalm, a little portion of some of the ungodliness and unrighteousness that exists here in this earth, Lord, give us grace and even give us encouragements as we see this psalm that you have held before your people. So prosperous as we meditate on into the close of this Sabbath. We pray it in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Well, if Asaph's pen often wrote of struggles and of problems, of life's sins at times, recounting the history and sadly often the sins of God's people. If he wrote of the perplexities of the righteous in times in which it seemed that ungodliness prevailed in the earth, well, he always brought us to a gospel resolution. And if, as Spurgeon comments, and we've quoted before, he often sings or writes in the minor key, well, then we're not surprised to see the subject matter of the psalm that is before us this evening. There are some questions of interpretation that we'll face as we come on in a moment. But once we clear that out of the way, we find that in this psalm, Asaph touches upon, well, if we can state it in this way, a pillar of civilization. He's speaking about the judges of the earth. He's speaking about judgment, right judgment being performed and meted out in this earth and really of the the horrors when such justice is perverted. And so he comes to meditate again somewhat solemnly on the, the prospect, on the reality that sometimes false judgment goes forth. Sometimes corruption prevails. Those are dreadful days to be sure. We looked last year, or maybe it's been more than a year ago now, at the text and the reality that there are days in which truth has fallen in the streets. Well, here's a psalm that speaks of such days in which judgment might be fallen into the streets. And a fearful thing it is. You think of the refrain of the book of Judges when it wasn't just among the Canaanites that such sin prevailed. It was in Israel that sins like that prevailed. There was no king in Israel. There was no proper worship. There was no real judgment among the people. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's a fearful day to live in. It's a day in which to which I should say we are, it seems, fast approaching in our own world. I almost brought Spurgeon's commentary. It was amazing and at the same time very discouraging to read some of his lofty comments about the justice system in England in his day prevailing, lamenting that other nations didn't have such courts to attend to, where right judgment was sought and meted out. Would he write such things today? Could he write such things today? 
When we come to the psalm and as we approach it, there is, as I said, an opening question really of interpretation. You see from verse 1 and then also down in verse 6 that there are some that are referred to as gods. It is properly with a small g that it is translated and put before us here. But who are these beings, these people perhaps that are referenced here as gods? Our Lord quotes this in John 10 and we'll come back to that in a little bit, but some of the interpretations of these, some suggest that there's a, a reference here to, to pagan deities that are being challenged in the psalm. Some suggest that God wouldn't reference them in this way as, and call upon them to act in such a way in the psalm as he does, and I would agree wholeheartedly with just setting aside of that interpretation. There's some that wonder if there are those angelic principalities and powers that are in view here. I don't know that that relieves the difficulty anymore of calling any being other than God a God. Um, The prevailing interpretation, and one that most of the older commentators held, is that the reference here is to judges, to the leaders of God's people. And you can find occurrences in the Old Testament where when people appeared before them, there are times in which they appeared before Moses. You remember he said the people come to him when his father-in-law saw them lined up. And he said, they come to me to inquire of God. And the point being that there are those that serve as God's representatives in the earth. There are those that speak in his name. They speak from his word. And they should declare His judgments. And again, that is not making up their own judgments. That's speaking according to His judgments. And I believe it is these that are referenced here in the psalm. And if you think of our Lord using this in John 10, as the Jews were struggling with Him speaking of Himself as the Son of God, It's really almost there an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God can in His Word reference some as these gods that are mentioned here, those that are representing Him to whom the psalm speaks, well, how much more the Son of God Himself can claim that title, for He is the Word. Not just one called upon to give forth and render judgments according to the Word. So we have in this psalm Asaph, in many ways, the poet of the temple, preaching to the temple authorities, reminding them of their responsibility to mete out right judgment. So I just want us to look at the psalm. It is a very brief psalm, and in some ways very simple, but yet the truth of it, well, perhaps we share a little bit of Spurgeon's comforts. We haven't At least most of us wrestled with great injustices in the courts of our land. But here as we look at the psalm, again just reading through the verses, God, verse 1, standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Here is an appeal to those that sit in these seats of judgment. These that under God have been given such responsibilities. 
Because if you remember from Romans 13, from other portions of Scripture in the New Testament itself, very particularly, that those that bear power do so with the ordinance of God. Even those that are ungodly, we look at it, we see Pilate, we see Nebuchadnezzar, we see Pharaoh, they're raised up of God's hand. Now they're called upon to act according to truth, to act according to His Word. And Romans 13 even speaks of their bearing the sword to put terror in the hearts of evildoers and to comfort those that are walking lawfully. That's their responsibility and their calling. And so here, there's a reminder to these that would sit in judgment over other men that God stands in the congregation of the mighty and He judges among them. The one that always does right. The one who always sees everything. These judges are reminded that they sit under Him and He sees them. And so as we pass to the second verse, we see that the implication, really the clear statement here is that these judges do not always do right. They are not always mindful of God's hand and God's sight of them. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? We won't take time this evening, but if you remember that little booklet put out several years ago now, a lot of years ago now, on the imputation of Christ's righteousness. You can go to some of the Old Testament wisdom literature and you see the words, the language of justification. And it speaks there in places of when an unrighteous judge would justify the ungodly and condemn the righteous. Well, in such cases, that ungodly person isn't turned into a godly person. He's just treated like a godly person. He's treated like an innocent person in a court of law. And he shouldn't have been. And the same injustice is noted when someone who is innocent according to the law is treated as if he were guilty. And of course that's the language of imputation. And that is very helpful and applicable to us in our understanding of justification of God's dealing with the sinner. But here, for these earthly judges to accept the persons of the wicked, to let them go when instead they should pay for their crimes. Well, that's when we begin to see, I don't think it's overstatement, the pillars of civilization shaking. And sadly, the examples of just such injustice in our nation are multiplying fearfully. It's interesting that a sila, a pause, Perhaps for 
musical purposes, but for meditation, how long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Defend, verse 3, the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. The poor and the fatherless are those who would have no means of bribing an unjust judge. And so these come to the one place where they would hope and expect to find justice, to find help against the oppressor, to have the evils that are committed against them, their few goods, as it were, snuffed away, snuffed out from them. Coming to the judge should be the place where they would expect an equitable hearing, where truth and justice would prevail. But here the warning and the fearful commentary is that in Israel such things were slipping. We come then to the fifth verse, or the fourth rather. Deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. There's some discussion about this verse, whether those that the verse describes are the wicked judges, or if it's the plight of a people that are ruled by them. Seems to me at least that whole comment about the world, the whole earth, out of course. It's a fearful time when it's just unknown what mood the judge will be in, what bribes have been given under the table, whether the perpetrators of evil will be dealt with or be let go to prey on the innocent and the weak. I think that phrase of the earth, the whole earth, foundations of the earth, indicates that it is the whole of such a people that are governed by wicked judges that everything is out of whack. A fearful thing indeed. And what a sad day when there is no place of justice. The sixth verse, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Here the Spirit speaks honorably of these that are appointed to office. They are those that are God's representatives. It is this text that our Lord quotes in John 10. But what a fearful thing when those that are to be His representatives, to see to it that His will and His truth prevails among those over whom they've been given oversight and judgment. You read the seventh verse that gives warning to these wicked judges. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. What here seems to be, you corrupt judges have forgotten your place. 
You assume for yourselves that which doesn't belong to you. You think commentators speak of those in power in the ancient world, and certainly it's prevailed through history where truth and a fear of God hasn't prevailed. Might makes right. And those in power do what they will. Who can stop them? Who can challenge them? If truth doesn't prevail. And here the warning is given. You shall die like men. The power that you've been given, that God has sovereignly given you a position of such power. He set you up as well as a Pilate or a Nebuchadnezzar. But you're not God. You're just to be His representatives. You fail in meeting out true judgment. You fail in representing Him rightly. Understand this. You're going to pass from the bench, as it were, to the bar. There's a higher court. They're the courts of heaven. And you won't be the judge there. You won't have even a delegated authority there. You will stand at that bar of judgment like everyone else before the God of heaven. And of course, we know for all sinners to stand before that bar of judgment if they're outside of Christ. It is that fearful day in which they hear of that final and eternal outpouring of wrath against their sin. But these judges are reminded that though they have a title and they are called upon to represent God, failing in that, they will come in their own time to stand before Him who is the judge of all the earth. And so the psalm closes with that prayer. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for Thou shalt inherit all nations. This, as so many of the psalms, brings us really right to the final day. And here is a comfort for God's people. Because we can seek and should seek rightly to have just judges and all of those things. But when those happy conditions, as Spurgeon commented on, don't prevail, we may be perplexed, as it were, for a season, but we know that God will do right. He will judge rightly in the end. Those unjust judges, all the unjust, all the wicked of the earth will be judged by the judge who judges rightly. And here the cry is for God to judge the earth. And it's attached to that eschatological hope of Him inheriting all nations. And you think of the second psalm there. And the cry even to the kings of the earth to kiss the Son, 
lest he be angry. And he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. These men that have been given a delegated authority who abuse it, who use it unwisely, unjustly, cruelly, they don't get away with it. God keeps perfect notes. He sees and knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Not even merely observing the outward visible actions of men. And so our hope here, if we would live in such days as Asaph seems to warn people or warn the rulers over people in such days, that a better day, a final day is coming. And God will judge the earth. He will inherit all nations. We read here, and there are several commentators that bring into the close of this psalm the cry of revelation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We might be perplexed, worried about some of the things we see, some of the pillars of civilization in our day crumbling. There's a God in heaven. There's one who holds not a delegated authority. He holds all authority. Our Savior said after His resurrection, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He will do right. He will arise and judge. And He will inherit all nations. Let us, let all, heed the warning of the psalm. And let us hear as well its comforts. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we have this and so many other portions of Your Word They give assurance and help to us in times of trouble, in times where delegated authorities fail in their faithfulness to truth. But there's a God in heaven who cannot fail and who does all things well. Lord, we're grateful that the one who judges according to truth can look at sinners like us And He can that you can be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. We've sung tonight that Jesus bore the wrath. Wrath that we were under. And we can say with Paul, with a solemnity and also a joy that we were children of wrath, even as others. But now, we are the sons of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, watched over by the King of kings, by the judge of judges, who does all things well. Lord, prosper your word that we've considered today. Lord, give us grace as we go to our homes and to our varied occupations. 
May we bear testimony to the light of the gospel in this increasingly dark day. Encourage us with your truth and your power. And we pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.